the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest today is author, master NLP practitioner and certified coach and trainer, Malika Zebalon. Hi Nigel, thank you for having me here. So what have you been up to recently? I'm still working, even though I know many people across the country have been furloughed or you know, having to take time back in there. I am still in my home, but I'm tutoring online the young people that I work with and still have a couple of coaching clients. Yeah, I'm still busy. Very, very busy. Well, it's good to keep busy, especially during these times. Now, I understand that you are a survivor of sexual abuse. Can you share some of those experiences and the impact they had on you? Yeah, sure. Um, I had two different types of experiences. So as a child, through child abuse, um, that was with a multiple of adults, all neither knowing that the others were all abusing me. So at age eight, I was abused by my mum's then ex-partner. Um, age nine was who I call cousin number one. And then when I was nearly 11, I was abused by a foster child. And just to say back then, I actually come from a large family. And this is before the Child Care Act of 1989 came into play. So this is going back in the 70s. Uh, they didn't have that then. So one of the things that happens with children is you may put your child in the bed with a foster child and what happens was a girl foster child had sexually abused me and because like I said it was so large the family missed all the signs and then by the time I got to age 14 so I was 21 years old cousin number two sexually abused me all those years as well so by the time I got to being a young adult I was extreme when I say young adult age 16 I was already suffering from depression, suicidal. I'd already attempted suicide in many, many occasions. I had an eating disorder. I, by the time I was 16, I'd left home and gone through homelessness. So it got to the stage, being a young adult, I actually didn't have the skills to navigate or negotiate healthy relationships. I found myself in my young childhood all the way through to adult life up to the age of 40 into unhealthy, two long-term unhealthy relationships. One was of domestic violence and one was um, emotional abuse. So that was really my experiences of abuse and the impact it kind of had on my life. So how long did it take you to heal from all of those horrific experiences? Yeah, that was an ongoing experience actually. I'd say from my early 20s, off my head, it must be about say 22 onwards, I knew I needed help. So I started going for counselling and I went several times to different types of counselling. Um, I didn't really find what I needed. But by the time I got to 40, I was so exhausted and emotionally distressed that I then began, my relationship was broken down. I should retract to say, you know, I also reached out to my GP on a few occasions and had been put on things like antidepressant tablets. And the healing process was kind of twofold. I don't think if you had met me, you knew I was going or I had all this chaos in my life. I was actually very well structured and put together within a climbing up my career within the job that I had. So by the time I got exhausted, by the time I was 40 and needed help, even my line manager was extremely shocked that I had 
been experiencing these levels of abuse. So in terms of aiding that poor healing process for myself, when I got to 40, I needed just to stop and work on me. And I kind of did that for, I think, about the next seven years I came celibate. I was, I came away from relationships just so that I got to become stronger in myself and also in my relationships that I should negotiate with anyone else. Because one of the things I also learned is my friends or, you know, male and female friends, we celebrate each other. So we champion each other. And I realised I needed relationships that did the same thing if I was going to have relationships. So I also need to know when, how to give myself permission to leave if I didn't feel there was a, a suit there as well. And very much the young people I worked with, these were the basic skills. I had been working with young people that I'd worked with. So I now needed to kind of take my own medicine as such and do the same thing. You moved on to become an advocate for victims and survivors of abuse. Why did you decide to become an advocate? I guess from the age of 16, I was kind of very strong-willed in terms of my passion. My passion was to save all the young people in the world from this ever happening to anyone ever again. And that's not possible. And I started working in that field as a youth worker, working on started in generic work and then became more specialised with working with young girls and then later on with women. And it's not possible, but I can do what I can to make a difference. So where I am now is I actually use my own story. I speak a lot on stage or I run workshops for women about breaking negative cycles in their life as well. Uh, I also coach women as a That's a large group of different types of people to work with. Do you have a preferred type of client or someone who has particular issues they want to resolve to work with? Yeah, sure. I... Well, for the last 38 years, I have worked with young people. I, I had kind of had two separate hats. I kind of do those more in the statutory, not within the business that I run. The business that I run, I'm a certified coach, and I work with women who want to break cycles in their life, whether it's in their personal life or within their uh, professional stroke business life. So I'm, I kind of attract a lot more black women actually that I work with and I think this because they resonate a lot with uh, myself and also you know I a lot of the audiences I go out to meet maybe it's the invitations where I I'm invited that a lot of women might resonate with my story and then reach out for support in terms of coaching. Well, last year you began the organisation Survivor Provider Services, or SPS for short. Why did you decide to begin that organisation? What I've noticed with a lot of providers who work with survivors is, not I'm not talking about the big national companies, uh, I know a large number of individuals who run services as uh, for survivors. They either set up as a small charity or they're independent. And one thing I noticed was where do they get their support? There isn't there isn't a hub or a networking place where people can come to to network and support each other. And I also noticed that some of the practice that is out there is not um it's not standardized in terms of you may have someone saying that they're providing their coaching someone but yet they don't have a coaching certificate or 
you know, their relationship coach, they don't have such training. So some of the reasons behind setting this up was firstly, as independents and small charities, it was to deliver, bring together the trauma and recovery programs. And so it could expand our reach as well. And that was one of the things that was quite difficult for if you're working as independent is not knowing all the different kind of avenues of reaching your marketing. So joining up together enabled us to do that. Like I said, the networking, it was also about self-care of the providers. And lastly, like I said, it was about raising the standards and delivery and the practices. Well, that sounds very interesting. So what are your future plans for SPS? It's really to promote the services of trauma and recovery providers for the mainstream services and in education, social care and all aspects really. There was a lot of programs that aren't just about working with survivors. It might be if you are a professional who some of your clients or it could be that you are a head school and you've got to also look at the well-being not just of the training but the teachers as well and helping them to understand how to work with survivors. So it's really about getting us out there and marketing what we've got. I also understand that you arrange coffee mornings for victims and survivors. What do these coffee mornings involve? The coffee mornings initially started because as a trainer, I was doing, like I said, the workshops for called Learn to Let Go, attended by women. And once they'd come along for two days, they felt really kind of delighted by some of the techniques that they had. And they also needed the support, continued support of implementing some of those um, techniques that they'd learned. So a lot of women kept on reaching out to me and I couldn't feel like service all of those unless they were coaching clients at the time. Plus what I'd established was a peer group from those training. So I set up the coffee morning and what we do in the coffee morning really is about it. It's kind of your check-in but it's a lot more than that as well. They're topic-based and it's about learning from discussion. It's sharing how a technique that we might be sharing or a question that we might put out there affects each of those those individuals who attend and how what changes or learning they may have gotten and that's what they share amongst each other really. Since we've had this pandemic, we've taken the coffee line online. So it now runs instead of running the first Saturday of every month in Victoria, it now runs online at the moment every Saturday. And now we have women who are who have come on to the coffee morning from different places of the world. So it's been a wonderful change. I actually think we're now going to be leaving it online. And again, the same thing happens is we put a discussion in the group and, yeah, we explore that. And then they also have a WhatsApp group that once you've come along to a coffee morning, the WhatsApp group has always been there for us. Uh, we've run the coffee morning now. It's come up to four years. So once you've come along to a coffee morning, then you get introduced to the, the larger group of uh, for peer support in the WhatsApp group. Let's step into the In Conversation time tunnel and go back to 2014 when you published your first book. What inspired you to write your book? I'm kind of very much led by passion is one. But also, sometimes in my life, I've had dreams. When I have a dream, and I dream a lot anyway, but there are sometimes I have these dreams 
that are so detailed and this covering of fear that comes over me that if I don't obey, I'm too fine not to obey. So I've had a few of those kind of dreams. I woke up one morning having had one of those dreams and it was almost as if a voice had told me, tell your story. And I didn't question it. I understood it and I just obeyed it. I believed that was telling me to tell my story. And I, something I tried to block out for years was my own story. I wanted to tell your story. And up to that stage, there was not many people I had told. I knew it was about my past. So that's what began me publishing the book. Why did you choose the title of your book? What happened was I was having a discussion on... Facebook. I use social media to ask people about uh, if they'd like to read the chapter and have some feedback. And I remember a few comments from people came back to say, you know, well done. It's great that someone's standing up and airing out what goes on in all cultures and especially our own meaning African Caribbean cultures as well. You know, and it's not spoken of. And my response is no more secrets no more I'm not doing no more secrets and then came a few of them that said that's your title so it kind of it came to me really um, just out of discussion and just confirmation from those I was speaking to well the title of your book no more secrets is certainly intriguing so what do you do in your spare time to de-stress especially after supporting others through their distressing and traumatic experiences I do like cooking so I love making up food as well. Whether it be I go through your YouTube and I say, oh, okay, I'm going to do that day or next week or whatever it is. I also love gardening as well. I've got quite a few different herbs growing in my garden from your mint. I've got my tomatoes growing in the chilies. So I do like a little bit of gardening and also your, your roses and everything else. I guess what I really, really, it's my escapism, what I like doing, is cooking. I love to sit there, especially when I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I will put on cartoons. If I need escapism, I will go back to cartoons. That is the way that I unwind outside of that. You know, I am I'm married and I have children. Well, they're big people now, but you know, so we'll also sit down and watch films, bring out the popcorn, and when we're not on lockdown, my husband do like to go off for meals yeah and have a lovely evening out and traveling i do like traveling as well so malika how can people contact you well they can contact me either on my email which is pr at malikazeblon.com i'll spell my name m-a-l-a-k-h malika and then zeblon z-e-b-u-l-u-n pr at malikazeblon.com or on my website, malakazeblon.com, or social media. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. And Instagram should be should be coming, but I'm also on YouTube as well. Thank you very much for your time, Malika, and take care. Thank you so much, Nigel. Thank you for listening. Please join me for another In Conversations podcast very soon for more interesting and entertaining discussions. Stay safe.